Welcome to COVID Conversations, a podcast series sharing stories from Black people living in the West Midlands. I'm Sandra Griffiths, Director of the Red Earth Collective. Our organisation uses the arts to challenge mental health stigma and discrimination experienced by African and Caribbean communities to support their well-being. In the last six months, we've all had to deal with significant changes to our daily lives created by a worldwide pandemic, the like of which hasn't been experienced for hundreds of years. In this series, we hear about the impact of COVID-19, lockdown, and the killing of George Floyd, and how that has affected the lives of Black communities across the West Midlands. In our fifth episode, broadcaster Nikki Tapper speaks to Canon Reverend Eve Pitts of Holy Trinity Birchfield, and Veronica Brown from Wolverhampton. Both share their experience of bereavement. Veronica talks about the loss of her sister and Reverend Eve Pitts on the impact of conducting many funerals. We start with Canon Reverend Eve Pitts. My name is Reverend Eve Pitts. Most people call me Rev or call me um, Canon or whatever. But I'm vicar of Holy Trinity and have been vicar for for about 10 years now in an inner city parish. The the further I move away from March, April, May, June, July, but certainly up to the end of June, the further away I move from it, the more painful it becomes. It's really quite strange. I think it's partly because I have more time to reflect on those are scary, scary, scary days. Scary for uh, the families I, you know, I encountered. Not all of them from COVID, but they were all caught up in that. Um, there were all sorts of families were just very, very bruised. And it's an overwhelming feeling of a sense of uh, not, being, um, not being able to fulfil my um, my duty as a minister in its fullest possible sense, uh, because of the nature of what was happening around me. It, you know, there were funerals to be done, interviews on telephone, which was not normal. Um, not being able to see people face to face, hearing their tears, and I say quite literally, hearing tears. I'm a poet, uh, you know, I write poetry. So I hear things in a strange way. I hear the crying of people and I heard the tears. And sort of um, several weeks down the road, I'm still hearing those tears because the funerals were just coming in right, left and centre. It was bizarre. It was really a weird time. It's almost as if I can speak for myself alone. I was frozen into this space of time where... um, the phone didn't stop ringing. I would go and take two funerals, come back, and my husband would say, oh, there's another three. You know, it was, and, and it was just a strange time. I remember July and June and May. I remember people crying, I want to see my grandfather. And my husband left home in, a, in an ambulance, and he seemed all right. He walked to the ambulance, but now he's dead. It was those awful moments when people cried about the things that, I had taken for granted the cultural norms, you know, the, the things like go and dress our dead. And I will always remember the, the woman on the phone, and I don't say lady because it's a term I don't like, 
a wonderful woman on the phone when she said, but Reverend, he, he, he wasn't that sick, you know, he had a bit of um, a bronchitis, and, but I think he was going to be all right. And the next thing I know, then somebody should say goodbye on the phone. And that will never leave me. It will never leave me, never leave me. Um, and I still find it emotional. Um, I, I will find it emotional when I remember the young girl. Any ideas I may have had that young people didn't care about the culture uh, went out of the window that day because I remember the young granddaughter who just screamed at the phone and said, I want to see my granddad. Um, and, and I won't see my granddad and we won't be able to dress him. And I, in my professional role, having to calmly say, I'm sorry that you can't see him. As a priest, you're trained to, to see if you can do the best thing you can. And I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't say, put it right. And but because I am the way I am, I like to put it right for the people I serve. And, and that's not just the people who come to my church. These are people for whom I was responsible and I couldn't help them. All I was having to think about was burying their dead. I quelled my tears and my rage at this disease and this illness generally. The one I remember really vividly was just me in the coffin and the undertaker and feeling angry that their loved ones had to stand the way off. And I looked down on the coffin and picked up a flower, dropped it on the coffin and beckoned to the family to come. There was that sense of, again, please forgive my poetic thinking, of aloneness, that sense of desertion. And I wasn't even sure that it was a desertion of people, the people I left at the gate. I've got one of my poems, the people at the gate. Those are what, you know, that sort of, I want to come in. Can't you let a few of us in? And, and my feeling, unprofessional though it may have been thinking, oh, if only I could let you in and remove the chains from the gate. Those chains and that bloody gate got to me. It really did. The, train, the chains on the gated hands made me angry because I could feel the frustration of the parents and grandparents and cousins and friends standing outside. They couldn't get in. Just six of us, two of us, three of us, depending at this graveside, all customs, all things that we're used to, the familiar, had disappeared. We could no longer stand there and just sing the song or half sing the song, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. All those familiar tunes have gone out of my head because my only focus was just how do I remind myself that there are those outside the gate. At the first few funerals, there was a lot of people outside the gate. You know, talking 35 people outside. On one occasion, 50 people outside. And we left them behind to go and bury the dead alone. That will stay with me for a long time. And as I say, Nikki, I will never, ever be able to erase it from my mind, and nor do I want to. Nor do I want to forget. My name is Veronica Brown. 
I live in Wolverhampton and I'm married to Delmar. I have seven brothers and sisters, so four sisters and three brothers and originate in Jamaica. So my parents are from Jamaica, Caribbean parentage. So my experience of COVID, so for, for our family, it has been a very challenging time due to obviously being in a worldwide pandemic, something we've not experienced before, none of us have. And my family has been affected by COVID in that a number of my siblings had contracted the virus, two of my brothers and one of my sisters. So my sister and brother were both admitted to hospital on the 22nd of March with COVID symptoms. And my brother, he, he recovered well and stayed in hospital for about four days and then came home. However, my sister, Nydia, Unfortunately, we lost her to, to coronavirus on the 17th of April. So it was a, a very difficult time, you know, due to the fact that we weren't able to visit, we weren't able to have any contact with her. And then, of course, she was gone. And that affected and still does affect the family very deeply. She was one of the younger siblings. And not being able to be there for her during her time of sickness, not being able to say goodbye. Um, we're a very close-knit family and, you know, we all live just a few miles from each other, apart from two siblings that live in London, but we're still very much in contact, see and speak to each other all the time. So uh, to lose our sister in this way has been just absolutely devastating to all of us. I mean, this is just absolutely the worst possible time to to lose a loved one. I mean, it's never a good time, but to lose someone during this pandemic where, as I say, you're not able to be with them, you're not able to say your goodbyes, you're not able to be together as a family, to grieve together, you're not able to give them the send-off the funeral that you want due to limited numbers and all the restrictions that funeral directors put in place. Uh, you know, in addition to us losing our sister, my brother-in-law also passed at the end of March, although that wasn't due to COVID, but the, the COVID restrictions still meant that we weren't able to go and be with our sister in London and attend his funeral. And then obviously three weeks after losing him, we lost our sister as, as well. So, it, you know, we've suffered losses in our family before. We've lost our parents, we've lost all the loved ones. And all the things, all the traditions that we like to do um, as, people, as people, you know, from the Caribbean, the being together, the cooking, the sharing memories, none of that could happen. And it just really made it, makes it so much more difficult to come to terms with the loss of a loved one. So tell you about my sister, Nadia. 
she was so full of life and if she had an opinion you were going to know about it she was very outspoken she didn't put up with any foolishness and she would just tell you what she thought she was just so loving and cared for everybody there was this 10 year difference between Nigel and myself so she's the youngest sister to me and when I was born, it was actually Niger that named me. Um, and she, just my whole life, she was always the one that was looking out for me. And, you know, would I would take me and to stay with her. We'd spend a lot of time together as a child. Yeah, when I, when I was little, I always used to say that she was my favourite sister, uh, just because of the way she treated me, looked after me, loved me, cared about me. She was, she was like a second mum, really. You know, I, I talk not, it wasn't just black funerals I was taking, I was taking white funerals. Uh, and this young boy who died, he was only 20 something. As I got on the bus, because I don't drive from choice, with my scarf around my face like a, some kind of bulky woman, um, and looking at the dead faces of people on the bus. And I write poetry when I came home from my own sanity, of the dead people on the bus. The dead eyes on the bus, I called it, because they too, even though they weren't going to funerals, they too were bewildered, like I, the lone vicar. I know that, um, as you said, you will never forget, and one shouldn't forget, the impact of how to minister and support families when they've lost loved ones that they couldn't possibly um have that con that last contact with, and we're we're still very much a tactile uh, na nature. As many of us are quite tactile, we like to touch and 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 hold, and that wasn't possible for lots of families. In, in how many altogether in the end uh, for that real significant period of time did you have to oversee and minister and, and conduct? I mean, altogether, I did about thirty three funerals. And and I think about half of those were touched by the by this disease in one way or another. Mm. I remember doing one. There were some light moments. <laughs> there were some light moments, and I think it's always important to remember that I did one in Nottingham. Um, um, Count Basie, <laughs> a, 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 a tune, a man who sounds his demand, you know. And, you know, typical Jamaican, <laughs> Jamaican community decided that rules, what bloody rules? <laughs> you, you're only supposed to have, uh, yeah, 13, yeah, okay. I make this about 300. It doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. And, the, and this bewildered-looking white undertaker who knows me well and known me well over the years said, "If I don't know what to do with them, maybe you can handle them." And I said, "You think?" <laughs> oh, and in that I was sense, it's I was standing in the middle of this, the, 
these are people I went to school with their sisters, you know. And these are people who know me and I'm and I, you know, in my sort of English way say, uh, could you please keep social distance? <laughs> Could you please keep a social distance? Oh, could you just move away a little bit? Move, Miss. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, it's so wonderful. That it's a bit macabre, really, isn't it? That we can we can yeah. have that laughter because there yeah. are those funny moments. Oh, there's a and, and, that and come they, about. Would, they would move away, and um, and there's a. But, but Rev, but Rev, you know, we have to do it well, you know, you know, we like, and I'm thinking, yeah, don't adjust, you know. <laughs> but those were, uh, and, and those were moments, and it was really interesting because at the end of the service, the sister who I went to school, to school with said, um, well, I'm so sorry, if you know, I'm cold, you know, I just hope you're going to be all right. And I was like, I am hope I'm going to be all right. Are you going to go home on the bus? I said, yes, I think I'd be a damn sight safer in the bus, don't you? You know, and people were sending um, responses to me because they saw it on Facebook saying, but we do hope you're going to be all right. So there were those, and I did go back on the bus, and the bus was half empty upstairs, and I thought, oh, thank you, Lord, you know. After waiting for what seems like ages for a bus, it was uh, the streets were lonely in the middle of Nottingham, and I sat on this bus. I took a deep breath and think, okay, that's another one. Farewell, um, well, you know. Ultimately, my, my faith, my faith and confidence in God has definitely sustained because when you're trying to navigate these situations um, and just things that you've never experienced, never in your wildest dreams imagined that you would have to deal with in your life, that the, the word of God, the peace of God has always been there. And even during times when you know, I felt like I couldn't, I didn't know what to say in prayer because I felt so, so broken uh, and so hurt and just devastated emotionally. A scripture would come back to my remembrance. And one particular scripture that continually sustained me was in everything, give thanks for this is the will of God concerning you. And, you know, when I've shared that with people, they've said with me, said to me, well, how can you be giving thanks? You've lost your sister, you've lost your brother-in-law, you've, you've gone through all these, such a rough time. But I'm a firm believer that no matter what we go through, A, it could always be worse, and B, there's always somebody else that's in a worse position. You know, we could have lost our other brother as well. Um, some families have lost a number of family members and my sister died she loved the lord she knew the lord so i have um a confidence and a hope that i'm going to be reunited with her so i i try and focus on those things you know don't get me wrong there are days when you know i miss her so much and i think oh i haven't seen niger for a long time i need to give her a call and then remember that i can't so it is bittersweet, but overall, definitely my faith in God has been what has sustained me and, and just, you know, having God hold me close and feeling his loving arms around me, bearing me up 
as it's just what's what's preserved me and what's kept kept me and kept us as a family because all of us as siblings we you know except for one we we all love the lord we're all brought up in the way of the lord and you know we have to draw on that and and dig deep in our faith in the word of god and just trusting that he's got us he's got this and he holds us in his hand what I saw and heard what I heard about George Floyd, George Floyd, I was numb for days. I didn't speak to anybody. Luckily, I had no funerals those few days. I just couldn't find words. And Anthony was very disturbed by that because I think I felt it like so many people so deeply that I couldn't speak. It's as if no words would come. I cooked, I ate, I was here, I didn't answer the phone, I was in the wilderness. And and I still can't remember those two days very clearly. Um, I was so hurt and wounded by what had happened. And I remember thinking, well, maybe there isn't a God. And if there is, it's not for us. And I really don't mind people hearing that, what I think about that, because we're the kind of people who were terrified of there being no God, are just even daring to question. I admire people, I admire those in our community who just never seem to have any doubts. Well, I'm sorry, those two days, my faith disappeared totally, Nikki. I couldn't make sense of anything. And I think I'm not unlike many of us is a deep wound that's been opened up inside of me. And there's no point in telling me, well, you know, there's nothing we can do about it, so there's no point in worrying and getting yourself all ill. I think one of the problems from that I've found is we're all terrified of death and terrified, terrified of, you know, we've got to protect ourselves. And yes, but I was prepared to be vulnerable. I was prepared to face God head on. And said, well, how many more do you want to die? How many more of us will have to die? And I'm still asking the question because when I spoke on the television and said, when someone questions my humanity, because that's what the death represents, but I'm not just questioning his humanity. I question the humanity of a world in which despite the good things, black and white, coming together to protest, whatever the complex issues behind that may be. I'm not fooled by people who purport to be on my side. I want to see the evidence of them calling the book a system, a system which allows a black man and a community, therefore, to be dehumanized in an attempt to dehumanize us they themselves were dehumanized. And um, so I went through a lot of theological loops and questions. And and I repeat myself, I envy those who never question or who never get angry with 
um, situation because I've done and will continue so to do because I don't, and, and then those people were taking comfort. Well, that doesn't happen here. Here they mean in England, our home. Well, like heck, it has happened. I come from a generation where the balls of black men were kicked in, in prison cells. So, you know, come on, <laughs> let's get real. We're not living in some kind of post-racial society. That's a nonsense that they want us to believe. So I continue to question and to listen and to ask how long I have every right to ask how long. And I'm not fighting for equality with anybody. Anything I get that gets me. I mean, what, what is it we want to be equal to? That and what it represents? Or do we comfort ourselves with the idea that England it's not like America. I mean, I got cross with my husband. What do you mean it's not like America? Who do you think taught America? I said to my husband. They've been well taught. They may not have the, <laughs> the curmudgeon nature of, um, of Englishness to disguise it. It appears um, genuine, but underneath it will rot. It's rotten. They may not have the sophistication to exploit and make it look okay, but we are in the same place, experiencing the same thing. So I'm sorry I can't be more positive than that. I just know that something drastic has to be done. I'm not sure you can simply mend something that is so badly broken, a system which is well-versed in in damaging and wounding those whom it pleases and who doesn't look like they ought to or should look. And so this is a complex um, situation. I, I could jump up and down and say, isn't it good to have the black white movement? I have my doubts, but I'm glad it's better than nothing, but it has to be led by intelligent people who know why they're doing it, uh, what they're doing it for, and not just to mend the system. The system can't be mended. The system is a corrupt one because it is not made with us in mind. And if a system is not made with you in mind, no amount of rearranging the furniture is going to change that. You have to find, we're going to have to find a way out of this hellhole. And I'm not just talking about England, I'm talking about the cultural hellhole that we've, we are in and have been in for some time. And how do we find a way out? It's certainly not by tinkering with the edges. Thank you for listening to COVID Conversations. Special thanks to our contributors, Canon Reverend Eve Pitts and Veronica Brown the support of New Star Radio and our funder, the Heart of England Community Foundation. For more information about our work, please go to our website, theredearthcollective.org and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Red Earth Connect. This podcast has been produced by the Red Earth Collective 
and NT Events Limited. 